Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, rash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. It's Mr. Beast's favorite podcast. What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I'm your co-host, Joel Cheeseman. Joining me as always, the only to my fans, Chad Sowash is Here in we the go. house. And please help us welcome... Anthony Onesto, advisor, chief people officer, and Gen Z and future of work visionary. He also offered a book entitled The New Employee Contract. Anthony, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you both. I love the intro music, by the way. I was doing uh, air guitar. As we we on, do so. intros that the kids will enjoy. That's our goal yes. on the show. Anthony, a lot of our people don't know who you are, uh, including me for the most part. Give us a little Twitter bio about you. It's nice to see the research was done. Uh, wonderful. Let's just let this strange person on. Uh, I'm a chief people officer, like you said. Work for a company called Suzy. I've been in HR for quite a long time, gray hair. I've been doing this for over 20 plus years. I advise HR tech companies. And during COVID, I was like, I got a lot of extra time on my hands. Mm. Uh, I should probably do something with that. And I said, why don't I write a book? And I picked the topic that I found interesting and could be beneficial, Gen Z in uh, in the market, in the talent market. So real quick, uh, you mentioned homework. I did a search on Gmail to see if we had some notes for this show. <laughs> and I searched your name. And amazingly, uh, I've been spamming you for a long time. So we've known each other sort of passively, and I should know a lot huh. about you. But unfortunately, there weren't sort of a cliff notes uh, for this show. So we're going to wing it. We are in this for seven years so far. We are professionals. We can get through this. Three old middle-aged white guys we- talking about Gen Z. <laughs> Let's do this. Perfect. Which which leads me to the segue. What are three Gen Xers doing talking about Gen Z? Anthony, what actually made you focus on the Gen Z, that generation? Yeah, it's a great question. First of all, I have to spam block you now since yes. you've been emailing me. Um, so I have to make sure I, I do that. Oh, that's that's a lot of domains you're going to have to go through. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, a lot of international uh, IPs. <laughs> I get it. Cyprus, you know. <laughs> well, you know, when millennials came in to the workforce, we were kind of surprised, right? Like, they're, we were like, oh, they don't think like us. They don't talk like us. They don't want things like us. And of course, whenever we have a new, I always say whenever we have something new that comes into a construct, what do we do? It's like a virus, right? We attack it. They're lazy. They're this, they're that. We start name calling. I said, I really don't think that's a good strategy, especially for HR leaders. And I knew this new generation. I have three kids. They're all Gen Z. I'm like, they're coming into this workforce. I wonder if they want something different. And guess what? They do. And I said, let me write about it. Can you define them at this point? Can you sort of crystallize what they are? iPhone forward. (laughs) It's probably the best, I mean, other than dates. I think the iPhone was launched in 2006-ish, I I believe. Or or Mm. seven. Um, So think about... Chad was first in line. Really? <laughs> Kidding. You had the first Apple. He's totally. Oh, no. I, I, well, little known fact, though, I did have an iPhone until I ejected because uh, they made you 
uh, first and foremost, you had to buy a new phone to expand memory. You, I used to be able to take my battery out of the phone, which the shit would overheat all the time. Anyway, anyway, I, I hated that Apple did that to uh. me, so I went to I went to Droid. Anyway, what I'm seeing here, uh, Gen Z, just for the listeners out there, you're looking at uh, 1997 to uh, 2012, so age range of around 11 to 26. Yeah, that's a good good marker. I think easily rememberable is you know this this generation grew up with an iPhone uh, yeah. in their hand, or you know maybe an Android for the less sophisticated Gen Zers. <laughs> so uh, they, they can't but, program a VCR, is what you're saying. They cannot figure out the date and time on a VCR. Uh, so yeah, yeah most no. of us couldn't do that. I mean, come on, yeah. we lived during that X. Time. May be the only generation that can. It's the worst thing when the when the power <laughs> goes out and all those devices that aren't connected to the internet are like, how do I do this again? What I do I do? Uh, it's, it's twelve me. o'clock. It's blinking twelve o'clock forever now. So they've known screens their whole life. They've known the internet their whole life. And more and more social media uh, defines who they are and how they engage and interact and, and look for fulfillment in their life. Would that be a true statement? That's a very true statement. It's in mobile. I would even uh, add mobile screens. Uh, there, you know, it's interesting as I watch. Now, this is I've done a ton of research. I work for a company, Suzy, which is a market research platform. So we did research on Suzy. So a lot of this is built on analytics and insights. But just tangentially, with my own kids, like they they like write papers on their phones. Yeah, I'm like really. Yeah. Like that is efficient and it is like they'll talk to it. <laughs> so mobile is the big, big piece. And I would even argue because of the pro- proliferation of Apple, much to Chad's chagrin here, design, ease of use, that kind of stuff um, is super important too. But definitely right. I would add mobile to that. So, yeah, I mean, voice to text. When we were growing up, I mean, there were so many things as Gen Xers. I mean, and, and let's go back real quick. We were called slackers. Right, Gen yep. X, were, we were slackers. I was so, never called a slacker. I don't know what you're talking. I was about. No, sure, sure. Proudly. No, every generation is told that they're just not. They don't work as hard as the prior generation. Yada yada yada. But a lot of the things that that we wished we had when we were growing up, like voice to text, it's available now. It's like fucking magic, which is which is amazing. Which is why I think Gen Xers are so damn good at technology because we had to live without it. Right. I mean, we were playing Pong and then the next thing, the Internet comes and just boom. I mean, technology explodes. One thing I've noticed about my kids and in and other their friends is that they are not incredibly tech savvy. They know the different parts of the tech. Like, you know, I can I can definitely use my mobile phone. But when you're starting to talk about anything that's beyond app and getting into business logic, it's it's really it's hard for them. Do you find that? Is the research showing any of that? Um, was it just that we were an anomaly because we wanted it so bad then it was finally there, but they've grown up with it their entire life? Do they take advantage of it or not? I think advantage, right? Like if you think about how we think of electricity, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you go into your house, you don't really think about it until it doesn't work. So for yeah. them, it's just, it, it's so funny. I was on a podcast and I said they were born with an iPhone in their hand and somebody called me out. I said, really? They were born? I'm like, of course, I'm speaking metaphorically. <laughs> but, you know, you always have that. Like, yes, yeah, they came out and there was an iPhone in their hand and they were mm-hmm. calling people. I, it's just normal to them. It's, the, you know, one of the things we found in the research is this, this idea of like customs. Like we all have customs. Like for Gen Xers, we had a custom of, of, of a place before the internet. So we would go outside. We'd, a, we'd add a 
congregate and, and build community outside because it was the only thing we knew. We wouldn't really, and, and we talked, you know, listen, we all had, I remember when I was a young teenager at a girlfriend far away and was building up my, my phone <laughs> charges oh, and God. got in trouble for that. Remember so, those bills? That you get on long distance phone call? Yeah. Fun fact, my father came into the room and uh, we'll just say for the storyline, just unplugged it nicely. But let's just say that's not the case. Not, uh, but anyway. Yeah, ripped it out of the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, ripped I know. Ripped it out of the wall and, <laughs> yes. yeah, and did some yeah, other I know. stuff. But mm-hmm. um, Italian household. So for me, it's the norms, right? These are the, like, they're, they just know it to be a fact. So anything other than that. And that's why I think this generation, it's interesting because there's a lot of things being thrown around. You see CEOs from major organizations saying, you know, negative things. This is the virus, right? We're attacking yeah. the virus. But this is arguably the most diverse, not arguably, the data says so. It's most diverse. A lot of Gen Zers are two or more races. In fact, it's the most diverse generation. They are have such access. You remember AOL, right? We would mm-hmm. dial up and hear that crackle. And then if someone got a phone call, it would <laughs> kick us out. Yeah. Like, yeah. They yeah. have unprecedented access to information. Think about Wi-Fi. now with ChatGPT. <laughs> Wi-Fi. How wonderful is Wi-Fi? We take yes. events like when, by the way, Wi-Fi went down the other day and like it was like, the, um, I forgot the book with the conch, right? Like they, they, everyone was coming to me like I had the Wi-Fi conch and I had all this power. And I'm like, I don't know. Like if Wi-Fi went out, like the kids. Don't, don't worry. Like, e- the world. Our buddy Elon and Starlink are going to fix all that. Like everything else in the world. Don't worry. Yeah. Don't worry. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I have, well, I mean, listen, it puts his mind to things and, and things happen. So, you know, I think, I think to that point, employers, obviously recruiters watch our show and it's, it's sort of like, how do you figure out this, this new animal uh, that's coming into the jungle? How do we recruit it, retain it? Chad and I talk on the show regularly. They're, they're more politically motivated, I think, than most. They're environmentally conscious more than any other generation that I can think of. They think about college differently. Uh, like we all grew up like you got to go to college. Like that's how you're successful. They think of that very differently. They have gigs that they can do and not take the traditional career track. So I think a lot of employers, and please speak to this, are trying to figure this out. And will they or what advice would you give them to to understand this generation better? Yeah, it, it'd be silly for, for me not to say go buy the book. Um, so that'll be one plug there. You'll you'll find some insights there. But, you know, at a very summary or chat GPT level here, it really is truly, and I don't, this is not a joke at all, but it's like understanding them, right? Like first try to under, like oftentimes we'll make decisions or assumptions. And again, we're generalizing to a certain degree here, right? We're saying right. all Gen Z does this and mm-hmm. there yeah. are outliers and there's going to be different personas within there. But for the most part, when you're thinking of recruiting, it's fundamentally everything. That's why the book is find, keep and elevate. So it's recruiting. It's how do we engage and how do we train this generation? So it doesn't finish with recruiting, but it does start there and it starts even before then. So let's, let's remember mobile first, Wi-Fi. <laughs> we'll put that in there mm-hmm. um, and access to global information. So when your company says, Hey, we're diverse, we're a diverse company. Yes, we are. Really? Because when I look in LinkedIn, all of your board of directors are white males. All mm-hmm. of your executives are white males. Mm-hmm. All of your leaders are white males. Hello, Goldman Sachs. Yes. <laughs> Nike. Pick, you know, blank company, right? Yes, like it's exactly. just, it's un- so they're going to be like, that's bullshit. 
you know, mm. and I'm not going to be interested in you. So it starts even before then. And it's hard work, you know, it's hard work. Nothing in the book is, is, is super easy other than, Hey, get rid of all your ATS systems because they are all terrible. And the experience is awful. And I can track my pizza on Domino's, but I can't tell where my resume is at your company. Uh-huh. That's some <laughs> of the more tactical stuff like digital first. Like if you're not on mobile, they're mobile generation. If your ATS is not on mobile or mobile friendly, or you have to fill in a forum, connect your LinkedIn, add your firstborn, then add, you know, your mom has to do a video confirming who you are, like all these different steps we have, mm-hmm. they're gone. Yeah. Like, so even before all that process, they're looking into your company and saying, what's your work-life balance? They're looking at LinkedIn and potentially looking at how many people are exiting your company. So they have access to all this information. So what about TikTok? What about TikTok? I mean, we, we're starting to see a lot of uh, people come out on TikTok, talk about their jobs. I mean, it seems like Gen Z is much more transparent and they just don't give a fuck. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just like, hey, look, this is my life. I'm working for you. I'm going to say how it is. So, and, and many companies have huge issues with this. And then we also hear people say, well, you know, now that's going to stick with you for the rest of your life. But if that's the next generation, this is what we should be getting used to or, Mm -hmm. or should we not, or should that be tamped down? I think there's always a, a middle ground with these things. So I was, mm-hmm. you, you hit it right. So TikTok, obviously the growth of TikTok, it is the platform that this generation uses for content, right? Whether mm-hmm. they want to absorb, you see it in, you know, Netflix numbers, you see it in traditional TV. TikTok is where this, this generation is. And whatever mm-hmm. your position on that, it's scary, especially if TikTok is owned by a Chinese company, but we won't get into that. They are in TikTok. And the idea of the, Example of cutting uh, eight seconds or more or 10 seconds or 15, like this idea of really quick type of uh, content is really important. It's their it's their attention spans, their digital. It's mm-hmm. that component of it. But they're non-negotiable. That is the key factor here and across whether it's TikTok or what you're talking about, where they are recording, they're not negotiating or revising their thought process. If you're not diverse or you're doing something wrong, they're not afraid to say it because they are not negotiable on those things. Now, I will say that when you come into the workforce, they're also coming into a time when there has been unprecedented unemployment. So it has been a talent market. And frankly, if you subscribe to Peter Zion, who wrote a book, The End of the World is Just a Beginning, about global demographics, you'll understand that they, it will probably always be a talent market, even mm-hmm. with the blips of rifts that we're seeing the last two years. Mm-hmm. You're coming into a leveraged market on their side. When we came in, us Xers, when we came into the market, we were told, do what you're told. You get what yes. you get and you don't get upset mm-hmm. because there were more people than jobs. And so I think there's so many different macro elements. It's their custom. So that's why you're seeing a lot of these things. So to answer your question more succinctly, I think they will adjust. They have to. You have to accommodate to the the cultural norms of organizations. You just do. But they're going to fight against that. And that's where the friction is happening. And to dovetail on that, one of the things that really surprises me is it it looks as if anonymity is out the window. Uh, with with Gen Z, you know, Glassdoor was a thing, and you were anonymous, and you could sound off, and no one could find you unless there was a court order, etc. Now people just drop drop bombs on companies on TikTok with no anonymity. That just seems like that's the future. That just that's not a supply and demand thing. That's something that's going to be business as usual 
with this generation and the ones coming, they just don't care about privacy like we did. I think experience, you know, was it uh, Yoda? Experience is the greatest teacher. Um, I think you're probably going to see some of that happen and some of it draw back because there are consequences to those Mm -hmm. things. You you talked about it. So there was recently (laughs) someone who was fired who recorded the entire fire and posted it on TikTok, right? The whole session. On her side, unfortunately, people may be second guessing whether they want to hire her in the future, right? That's that's a thing. That's a real thing that will exist. And she's going to have to taper or governor her uh, transparency around that stuff. And maybe she'd be like, maybe I wouldn't put my name out next time. Who knows? On the flip side, companies got to get better. Like the more they're getting exposed, the better the experience is going to be. Companies that get called out, we're all watching and going, oh yeah, we really need to have this locked up when we do do this stuff and make sure that we're bringing the humanity to it. Make sure we're doing this in the right way where a riff like that was just like, hey, go talk to the HR person. We're going to fire you and that's it. Does this generation though think the fame is worth the risk? Because I see many polls that kids want to be TikTok influencers, YouTube influencers. So my question is, she got famous from that post. Yes, she took risk and yes, she may see some retribution, but does this generation say, I got famous from it and that's worth it? I think there's a segment. I think those polls, uh, I've read those polls in the research we've done. This generates, it's not, it, it's actually one of the most misconceived notions that they just want to be TikTokers or, you know, mm-hmm. they, they want to be influencers. Listen, they've seen, just like when we were, you know, growing up or watching, we'd see Michael J. Fox in a movie go from the mailroom to the CEO office in an hour, right? So we were like, oh, we want to go work for a company and get that side. You know, like, so they're seeing influencers and TikTokers become famous. So of course, naturally, they're like, maybe that's an opportunity for me. And it is like, there is real money. You mentioned Mr. Beast at the beginning, like amazing. You saw what I did there. I don't get it. My son gets it. I don't get it. Fine. I don't, I I think he's amazing. I think Taylor Swift is amazing. I, all these. So uh, to answer your question, I, I think it's, it's not something they all want to become. They all see the path in companies they see, right? And and by the way, what we found in the research is that they are loyal. Like even though a lot of folks say millennials weren't loyal because they job jumped, this generation, because they've seen such change in racial equ- equity and, mm-hmm. and climate change and all this disruption here, and they've seen in 2008, their parents, some of them getting laid off or fired or whatever it is. They want stability. That's actually one of the things in my research that's a little counter to what some of the articles say mm-hmm. that say they want to be. No, they actually want security. They just want you. They're non-negotiable on all those other things like, hey, are you diverse? Are you doing good for the world, et cetera, et cetera. Now, Joel asked about, he was on the transparency side of the the people, right? They're out there. There's no anonymity. It seems also like a lot of the Gen Z transparency just not themselves, but also around pay, around culture, around lifestyle, around the company. Do you believe this is going to force companies to be much more transparent so that they can attract that new talent into their organizations? Oh, absolutely. If you look at the the, the value of the S&P 500 over the mm-hmm. last couple of decades, it has gone from what we call assets or tangible assets to intangible assets. So now most companies are valued by their intangible assets, upwards of 90, I would argue 95%. What that means is people in IP and software, but all that IP and software until you know 
uh, AI can write software and do all those things. It's all created by people. So I think strategically companies are, they have no choice. Like if your value of your company is your people, you're going to have to focus. And this is the next generation coming in. So they're going to have to figure out how to manage this. It might not be like, I think, um, I forgot the the supermarket chain that went fully transparent. I think they even like published a book of everyone's salary all the way. I think it was Wegmans years mm. ago. I'm not suggesting that is the right answer, but some level of transparency. And there is going back to uh, Joel's comment uh, a couple of seconds before, a couple of minutes before is this, they have no shame. So they'll even call you out internally within an organization if you're not doing something, mm. which is like, for me, was like, wow, like you're okay out on. Oh, yeah. TikTok, I get it. You're not employed, but you're employed by this organization and you're calling them out. So it's going to be a really interesting time on how to manage how far or how transparent can you be versus what the expectations are. That, that's a big push on the power dynamic because we grew up where obviously the boomers were raised by the greatest generation and the power dynamic was we're the greatest generation. The boomers uh, with the Xers, right? We were raised by them. So it was, again, it was, you know, do do as I say, not as I do. And Gen Zs are just like, well, fuck, if, if you can do it, I can do it. And we're right. on the same level. I don't care if I'm entry level and you're the CEO, we're still human beings. And, and to me, that is fascinating. That is incredibly fascinating coming yeah. into an organization and having that kind of chutzpah right out of the gate, right? I think it's yeah. good. I think it can be tailored, right? <laughs> um, but from what it sounds to me, and you talked about this earlier, there are a lot of CEOs that are out there and most of them are still boomers, right? And they're just not used to this th this kind of like lashing out. Um, but it sounds like, and they're going to be moving out of the workforce no matter what, but it sounds like CEOs really need to get used to that. How, as, as a senior leader who one day wants to be a CEO, um, how do you, how do you get prepared for something like that? Other than just having those kids? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's helpful. Um, cause you get real time, uh, qualitative feedback yes. <laughs> from those kids. Yes. Um, Again, I think it's really, truly understanding, right? Whether it's my book or any book or any article that's written about what this is all about. I think you you have a great point in terms of, you know, X versus Z. They are coming in. They have no fear. They have the chutzpah, as you, as you call it. But everything that they're, you know, I was on a, a session, a, a webinar, and I was talking about it, and someone commented, are they asking for too much? And I went through the list of like, hey, they want, you know, racial diversity. They want, you know, your, how is your company impacting the climate? They want compensation transparency. They want, I'm like, name which one of these things that we wouldn't want, right? We just yeah. never asked for it. Like, I want the earth to be, you know, livable. I want, you know, racial equity in companies and everyone treated fairly. Like, there's nothing that they're asking for that none of us would agree with. Right. It's just how they're approaching it as like, this is non-negotiable. So I think... As a CEO, you really need to truly understand one, instead of throwing that, vi you know, that antibody at the virus, understand like why, why is this generation like this? Why do they feel like they have the chutzpah just coming in and kind of throwing a demand on Slack in front of the whole entire company? What is it about it? Wrong or right? And, th and that'll, you know, that'll be a decision. Like, what does that mean? Wrong or right? Is that wrong? I don't, I, I mean, it feels wrong. I wouldn't do it. I blame participation trophies, but that's just yeah, <laughs> Yeah, but if you think about it, though, that's the first thing in negotiations, right? Is that you ask for more than what you, than what you think you're going to get. And if we've done our jobs as Gen X parents to the Gen Z kids, we've taught them that this is how the world works. If you ask for what you want, you're not going to get it. 
you've got to be able to start negotiation wise. You've got to start up high and come down low. Everybody was giving, you know, the UAW a hard time for asking for four day work weeks and this, that, and the other things like that. No, those are basic negotiation tactics. I think we're just surprised that these kids, these young adults are negotiating better than we did when we were their age. Surprised. Uh, maybe jealous because <laughs> we're, yes. you know, again, yes. we came in, yes. but I, I do think it's the power dynamic. I think you're seeing, so the new employee contract, the title of the book is that dynamic, that macro. So that's the macro part of the book. Why, what's happened in the economy? Mm-hmm. Why are we seeing these things? What is, is the dynamic shifting from capital to labor is, and we're seeing a lot of that. We've seen that over the last couple of years. And I think Listen, we've had a little blip in the tech layoffs or Professor Galloway talks about the Patagonia recession, mm-hmm. which I love that reference. Patagonia vests. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's that kind of stuff. I think we see a little blip. but And then on the flip side, unions are the, at the lowest level they've ever been at. But we've seen some pretty incredible unionization efforts in 2023. You know, the artist or the, the movie one is a little bit different fighting against AI, mm-hmm. but you're seeing this movement of activity. And so, yeah, I think there is definitely a capital to labor dynamic that's changing. And I do believe, honestly, after reading Peter book on demographics that that you know I read an article in the FT yesterday about how Japan is deploying drones and robots for into their fields because they have a labor shortage mm-hmm. in Japan because mm-hmm. too many folks are too, getting too older and I was like okay that's interesting yes there's a labor shift but on what Peter argues in his book and I highly suggest it it's a long one and it's really deep on on economic history in the globe but he also talks about the consumption so even if we have robots and drones making stuff mm-hmm. who's buying it if there's no one everyone's getting older or dying yes. out like you you have a problem here you have a a real shift in economic uh issues uh, around the globe so anyway i went really tangent there but the idea is <laughs> there is a shift happening and it's a global shift it's a it's a macro shift by the way whenever i get jealous about younger generations i just think back to the magic of the eight track tapes and know that i had it better <laughs> than everyone else <laughs> Anthony, I want to pivot back to your comment uh, in regards to them wanting to be stable, uh, sort of safe, which makes total sense in a you know generation of 9-11 and pandemics and 08 and et cetera, et cetera. With that information, I would say, okay, the gig economy is in trouble. That's not stability, is it? Uh, I would say schools are going to benefit being college because that feels like a safe thing to do. And I would say that marriage should be on the up upswing because that having a stable family structure, nuclear family seems like a safe thing to do. But all of those things are not happening. The gig economy is exploding. People aren't going to college the way that they used to, and people aren't marrying the way that they used to. So can you help explain that to me, how those two things can be true, but also in contrast to each other? Yeah, I think part of it is understanding that maybe some of those stabilization norms are ours and not theirs, right? So I I think there's some ones like job and gig, right? So I think that if there is the shift in the gig economy, and I I really haven't seen too much of that data, like in my experience, at least it's, you know, we have full-time employees they are coming in. I mean, there's no other path right now for kids. Years ago, we had wood shop. And by the way, it was terrible. I almost killed my wood wood shop teacher. Um, Uh, auto shop. I, I cracked whatever they, Fargo yeah, before like, Fargo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The it was terrible, but there was a path to that kind of work. Um, yes. and I think 
that went away because it's everyone's like, you got to go to college. But some of the highest paying jobs I know of is plumber, electrician. Like I don't see the college numbers. I think college has become so expensive, but I don't, I don't see a lot of kids not going. I think that's still an element. Like a lot of kids are going to college. They see that as the next step. Mm-hmm. I think the gig economy is because we're starting to think of jobs as skills, not necessarily a job. So what I mean by that is there's a specific task. So if I am a digital marketer and I need to understand SEO, there's really no university that's going to teach me how to do that. I might be able to take a course online, but it's a skill set that I am going to learn. And I want to hire somebody. I don't care if you went to an Ivy League or a community college. If you know how to do SEO or you know how to media buy on LinkedIn, your degree is useless to me, right? Mm -hmm. So I think when you think of the gig economy specifically, I think it's being able to have these skill sets roll up into a full-time job. So I think it's part of the fundamental change that I talk about in the book is like rethinking how we're even thinking about jobs mm-hmm. and how jobs are performed. And we're starting to see that. We pulled uh, education off of, I think, 95% of our job titles where it wasn't relevant. We do market research. It does require some level of education, some level of PhD on the data science side. But for the most part, we're not requiring any of that. We just want you to know and display that you can actually do the job. So I think that's an element of that. On the marriage piece, I think they're finding, what I found is the shift there, at least in the research and what I'm seeing even outside of the, the book and the work that I did, is that they're not finding that as a as a source of stability. You know, they're leaving churches and religion and all that other stuff. It's mm-hmm. They're using the job in the, that environment as a pivotal point of stability and friendship, like now add COVID in there and obviously no one could do anything else. But I don't think they're looking at families as that end game of stability, which again, if you harken back to my comments about Peter Zion, yeah. that we're in trouble, right? Like the US, we should be okay. He predicts the US will have mm-hmm. minor demographic challenges, but a lot of folks are going to be coming into the US because it's mm-hmm. really the only beacon of economic prosperity he predicts. But so th- it's it's a, a bit nuanced. So I think they can exist because I don't think it's a zero and one or it's linear, right? I think it's mm-hmm. these things can exist to a certain degree. And I think there might be other forces that are impacting those numbers. So in a world of generative AI, you have created a chat GPT, I mean, literally a chat bot to be able to scale your knowledge. Tell me about the impetus of that. You were probably pretty excited. And what did you use data-wise to be able to train the bot so it didn't just start hallucinating and giving out crazy (laughs) ass recommendations to people who are using the the bot. So so tell us what the bot is and then tell us how you trained it, et, et cetera. Yeah. And just so you know, you mentioned generative AI. So the AI gods will save us today. We have to say it at least once. <laughs> Thank so God. So they will not come down on us. Or when the, you know, a, a group of, of Skynet. Come in. Skynet. Yeah. I don't know how I forgot that. Two out of so three Gen Xers can name Skynet. We just proved that point. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, we're very little uh, context. I have book debt. I wrote this in, in when I launched it. Um, I love books. I'll, someone will say, you know, Chad and Joel wrote this really cool book and I'll be like, all right, I'm going to buy it. And then it sits there. It's just honestly, and it's not a, a knock on you two. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if you have a book, but coloring book. Yeah. It's just, it sits there until I'm ready to read it, but I, I'll buy 10 books and read one. Right. So I'm like, 
people might be buying my book. There's one person in the Midwest that basically threw it out. She wrote a review on Amazon, said it was junk. And I'm like, okay, I'll own that. You know, and I can't make everyone happy. Okay. I like pulling that out, by the way. I screenshotted it. Because, um, it, listen, whatever, everyone has their opinion. But folks may buy it and not really use it because they're like me and they just like, oh, that's an interesting book and never get to it. Uh, and that's audiobooks too, because I, I ride bike and so I like audiobooks too. The chat GPT was an opportunity to take the entire book, infuse it into the chatbot, take the research we did on Susie, all the data we put in there and said, okay, let me throw this in there and see what happened. So on when they first launched it, before it went you know, public, it was sitting in the back end where I would just test it. I shared it with a couple of friends in the HR space because as your point, we see, I think there was one that would just spun up in the UK. It was like a customer service bot that the person convinced the bot to convince them not to use the company, that it was yeah. a terrible company yeah. to use. So you got to be careful with these things. And I don't even know now that it's public, there might be, I, I think it's controlled guidance. But I thought it is an opportunity to make an extension. Okay, it's, all right. If you want to buy the book, yes, no one's getting rich off of that. But I want my knowledge to be out there. Here's another way. It's another avenue. It's kind of like when the app store came on and everyone started creating apps. And most, you know, most of us never passed that first screen. Well, for Chad, your Google phone or whatever it is you're using there. <laughs> uh, but for the iPhone, we very rarely go to the second or third screens. It's the same thing, right? This We're going to see a proliferation of these things. Most of them are going to be useless. Mine might might be useless. It might, you know, hopefully someone will find value, sit in a meeting with the Gen Zer and chat while they're meeting and saying, they're saying this and how do I respond? And maybe it becomes helpful to them. But it was an extension of the book in a very I would say a unique way. So that was really the the spirit of it. And um, I don't even know what'll happen with it. There's there's not a lot of data or transparency around this whole GPT store. I don't even anyone is using it. So um, but it was that that was the purpose. Like let me take the book and see if I can create a different experience. Sounds like a genius way to get out of parenting. Just have your kids ask my generative AI bot uh, what you should do and not do. And I can just watch Netflix and eat Chipotle. Um, That might be a real world, by the way. I want want to go back. You mentioned Professor Galloway because he also has a Professor Galloway AI that you can ask him questions. Um, But he talks a lot about young men being sort of lonely, opting out of the general norms of society. I talked about college and you said that people are going to college, women more so than men today. I want you to just talk about Gen Z men, where their head is, what they expect out of life, how are they different than than other generations? Because I think uh, that's something that that's worth noting. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, I'll be perfectly honest. We didn't really do too much gender split in the research. I mean, there's some that came about uh, in the research, but we didn't dive heavily. We wanted more of a like I would say a holistic view of of the generation, but specifically, you know, what we saw. I, I think one of the elements we we haven't talked about. So we talked about mobile and other things, but really the gaming element with this generation is huge, and that's both male and female. Uh, traditionally male, traditionally male on the gaming side in terms mm-hmm. of the company and the engineers, but there is a a large amount of uh, of female gamers that are are starting to enter the space. I think gaming has a real interesting. When you think of the the male, uh, and, and again, most of it is is male, they're interacting online. So we're this is again a custom norm. We're 
we didn't have this stuff before AOL chat rooms and all that sort of stuff. So we'd have to go outside, knock on a door or like, you know, I think there's a great meme. It said, you know, I had a bunch of bikes in front of a house and that's how you knew where everyone was. So there were, those were just norms we were used to where here, the gaming and the interaction, and, and I have this with, with my own son, he's 17, big gamer, has always been a big gamer. And we're like, you know, go outside. And, and I think those things are important. Don't get me wrong. I think it's important for exercise, get out. It's been proven there's science behind it, but I'm not judging him for having his interactions on a gaming system. Like he's comfortable. I hear him in his, in his room, has his headphone, which I should probably borrow for our next podcast. Probably <laughs> more helpful. Um, and he's like talking to his friends and he's laughing and he's, but it's, it's unusual for us because we, we like this, right? Like we like the yeah. in-person interaction. So while I agree with Professor Galloway, it's clear the numbers are there. Every active shooter that's out there, it's nine times out of 10, if not 100 male, it's a young male. There's, there is a problem. There's a, a real issue here. You know, a lot of folks always point to gaming and other things. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not that sophisticated to name that. But I think from a Gen Z, this is the norm. Like they like the gaming. They like the online elements. They like that kind of thing. And then I think you know, if they do go to college or other things, I, I think we have to figure out what is, if it's, you know, was church or going outside or community events. I love sports. I love the idea of sports. I would infuse like almost what Israel does with Professor Gallery talks about like the Peace Corps and things like that. I think mm-hmm. those are great ideas, like brute forcing yeah. people into these things, yeah. into a community where they connect as a team, because I think that's the element that is, is going to be missed. And when you go to college, that's obviously forced on you. If you don't go to college, it's not. But I think it's an important element of success is that ability to have that. So there's got to be a way to infuse that. And I think young sports, any sport, is a great way to do that. Um, but in the data that we're seeing, this is their, this is a cut. They're very comfortable in that space, and it's something that you know I don't have a solution for, but it's it was definitely uh, something we saw in the, in the data, especially around around the gaming elements. Excellent. Well, that's Anthony Onesto, everyone. So Anthony, if somebody wants to buy the book, write you a bad review, or I don't know, just connect with you, where would you send them? Uh, for the bad review, you can go to the Barnes and Noble on Route Nine in no, um, <laughs> your local library. Uh, your local library, and throw it in the binder in the, uh, in the front of it. Don't do that; it's a fee. You get in trouble. Um, it, Amazon has the book. Um, we don't have an audio book yet. Uh, we'll get there at some point. But Amazon Kindle, you can get it there. You go to my website, anthonyonesto.com. You can learn more about me, find the book, all that sort of stuff. Thank God we've stopped talking about the fucking millennials. That's another one in the can, Chad. <laughs> we out. We out. Thank you for listening to what's it called? podcast the chad the cheese brilliant they talk about recruiting they talk about technology but most of all they talk about nothing just a lot of shout outs of people you don't even know and yet you're listening it's incredible and not one word about cheese not one cheddar blue nacho pepper jack swiss so many cheeses and not one word so weird Anywho, be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way, you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.chatcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes 
for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out!